The sermon this morning is entitled, Are You Hearing God's Voice? And many of us have a desire to hear God's voice, want to hear from God. And um, the question is, well, there's lots of questions. How does God speak? Uh, are we hearing? Uh, was that God? Was that not God? Was that my own thoughts? Was that um, an evil spirit? Was that, was that God? A lot of thoughts go through our heads, and we have different promptings of sorts. Um, and how do we discern when God is speaking to us? Uh, number one on your notes, uh, how does God speak? In the Old Testament, um, throughout the Bible, God spoke in various ways to various people at various times. And he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And he spoke to Pharaoh through plagues. He spoke to Esther through, uh, I think it was her uncle, Mordecai. Spoke to Balaam through a donkey. And uh, God's not limited in how he gets across a message if he needs us to hear something special or specific. And uh, uh, Pastor Mark Batterson, he recently put together a study called Whisper. You can find that out on, on Right Now Media. And um, in it, he describes seven ways he um, sees God continually speaking to people today. And he says, scriptures, desires, dreams, doors, open, closed doors, people, promptings, pain. Those are seven that he lists. And there's more. Creation. Uh, through Jesus Christ. Um, but I'm going to go into each of those in um, a little more detail, and then we'll move on to uh, our hearing ability and look at that. But how does God speak? Uh, scripture is primary. And Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. I have a graph for you here. Uh, this was taken a year ago uh, by Lifeway. It was a survey of 1,000 people on um, how much of the Bible have you read. And uh, you can see the results there. It's interesting. Uh, the beginning of history, and, and very early on, um, God commanded his people, the Hebrews, the Hebrew people, to remember his commands and his instructions. He said, write them on the back of your hands, tie them to the frontlets of your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your houses. And he was saying, write them down everywhere. And then he said, teach them to your children in the morning and, and on the way and, and on the road. And when you go to bed at night, teach these things to your children. Be very diligent to teach these things to your children. And so it was God's written word, uh, his commandments, his instructions, decrees, precepts, statutes, principles, promises that we are supposed to remember and we're supposed to meditate, meditate on day and night. And that is, that's God's voice for us uh, in the scriptures. Um, and I'm not this morning giving the sermon about is the Bible credible enough. That's another sermon for another day. Uh, if that's an issue that, that you have questions about, I encourage you to check out. Um, or a good starting place might be to Google um, Ravi Zacharias, R-A-V-I, Zacharias. Uh, how do we know the Bible is true? Just a good starting point and um, answer some of those questions. Here's the first Bible that my parents bought for me after the children's Bibles, the first real Bible. 
And um, they went all out, got a case for me. They got um, a Bible here with my name engraved on the front. Travis A. Beck, my dad put all these little tabs in, little tabs here to know where the different 66 books of the Bible are. And this, look at this. This Bible is presented to Travis A. Beck by dad and mom on December 8th, 1988, on your ninth birthday. And then my dad said, we're going to read the Bible through this year. And he encouraged me to read the Bible through. And if I could read the Bible through, I'd get a brand new football, a real football, at the end of the year. And I thought that was fantastic. So we read the Bible through in a year. And then the next year, he said, let's do it again. He bought me something else, and I can't remember what that was. It must not have been too important. But hey, such an investment for ourselves to have a Bible um, that we can read. Do you brush your teeth every day? Yeah, your teeth are important, but your soul and hearing from God. God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And without vision, the people perish. We need God's voice, hunger after his voice, to hear his voice. And um, a lot of times we spend our time asking God for a specific will. A specific will regarding some specific area of our life. And um, I heard Charles Swindoll once state, you know what, we need to pay attention to God's general will that he has revealed to us. And in doing that, the specifics will work themselves out. Be true to what God has given us, trusting and being obedient to those things. And um, specific revelation will come if it's needed. Um, but um, important for a scripture. Number two, desires. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. You know, when you delight in the Lord, or when you commit your works to the Lord, he will establish your thoughts. He'll give you new desires that you've never had before. There was a guy that recently got saved a couple months ago, and he was in my office, and he was saying... Um, I went to Awaken last week, and that's a prayer gathering we have once, once a month. And at the end, when we were praying, and I was praying with kind of a group of guys in the back, he goes, I was looking around, and I thought, I want to be like these guys. I want to be a man of integrity. That's what he said. He said, I never really cared about that before, but now I, I want to be like that. And he had a new desire, some new desires. He had a desire to read the Bible. Now, we never had that desire before. God starts putting new desires on our hearts, new thoughts for our mind to think about when we delight ourselves in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Dreams, Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream, dream dreams. God used dreams at various times throughout Scripture with Joseph, Daniel. Um, now, obviously, we can have too much pizza and we can have crazy dreams all the time and every night, um, but there are times... Um, that God has chosen to speak to individuals through a dream. And um, there's one vivid dream that I had that I believe very strongly was from the Lord, and it was convicting for me to change something in my life or to um, offer support toward a person in, in my life that I needed to. And uh, just it's something I hadn't been thinking about. I, I know it was so vivid and so specific and I just believe to this day very strongly without questioning that God was getting my attention. And um, number four, doors. Uh, Colossians 4.3, we see numerous times in Scripture where they're talking about a door opening up or a door closing. And, and Paul would write in Colossians 4.3, pray that God will open up a door to us in a certain region. In 1 Corinthians 16.9-10, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. 
And so oftentimes there will be uh, a door of opportunity or a door that closes opportunity on us. And that's not to mean that if our jobs are hard that we uh, say, oh, God's closing the door, it's kind of hard, I'm, I'm out of here, um, or that every opportunity is from the Lord. But if there's something outside of our control and, and a door slams shut in our face and there's nothing we can do about it, um, sometimes that is God working on our behalf, and he will do that. He will do that for his children that he loves. Um, five, people. We give the example of Esther. She heard from Mordecai. The Jews were in captivity. Um, the, all of Judah was in captivity in Babylon. Babylon had been taken over by the Medes and Persians. There was a Jewish girl named Esther, and she became queen. The king didn't know of her ancestry, didn't know she was Jewish. Uh, but there was a plot in the kingdom and actually a decree that had gone out to annihilate all of the Jews on a certain date. And her uncle, I always want to say uncle, uh, and I'm not sure if it was her uncle, his close relation to Esther, Mordecai, told her, he said, Esther, maybe God has put you here for such a time as this. And she listened to what he said, and she stepped forward in faith, although her life was kind of on the line. You weren't supposed to approach the king unless you were called in that culture. And she approached him, um, and, um, and long story short, the Jews were saved through her faithfulness, and she did the good work that was before her to do in faith. <clears throat> God spoke through Mordecai to her. Who has spoken God's wisdom, warning, or encouragement to your life? Has there been an individual that has at times encouraged you in a special way? Maybe a different person who has warned you, told you something you maybe didn't even want to hear, but it was something that was important for you to hear about? Um, how about someone that's just continually a resource of wisdom and discernment in your life. God will use people to speak to you and me. Six promptings, Acts 20, 22. Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. There are times in Scripture where we see that some, some people have a prompting, spur of the moment, to say something or to do something, take action. Um, have you ever been prompted to pray for somebody or to call somebody or to, or to do something? for someone in some manner. Um, yesterday, Cassie had a prompting as we were driving. I just talked to an individual on the side of the street at a location here in town, and I got in the truck. We were starting to drive, and she says, you should invite him to church tomorrow. And, um, and so I think Cassie had a prompting from God, and I had a prompting from Cassie. And so we went back and we invited him to church. So I don't know if he is here or not today. But... Um, Prompting. Sometimes um, God has used promptings. And um, we, will, we will talk about, um, actually there's an article here, I'll reference it. Tim Augustine talks about promptings and gives lots of examples of that. People moved by the Spirit to do something. Uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Uh, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. It's equally important to know that we can have promptings from other sources, right? Your heart can prompt you to do something. Your sin can prompt you to speak. Your troubled thoughts can prompt you to answer. Even the devil prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So they can have promptings that are not of God. The point here is God can use promptings. We're going to get to discerning God's voice in a little bit. Um, yes. And then also, the last one here, often when we fail to hear God in the many various ways in which he attempts to speak to us, he's always transmitting. When we shut down our transmitters, God still continues to speak to us. And, and, and unfortunately, but oftentimes necessary, is pain. 
And so pain is a way that God will communicate to us to get our attention. The nation of Israel would often go off track, forget all the things that God had done, fail to write upon their, um, to meditate on God's word, and uh, go after foreign gods and um, become godless. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pastors quoted that many times. C.S. Lewis said that. God would allow Israel to be overcome by their enemies at times uh, in hopes that they would turn again to him. Uh, my kids, when they fail to hear my voice and they just so badly want to stick both their fingers into the outlet, you know, and they've ignored every other prompting that I've given them, then that is what is sometimes necessary and removing them from that, that place so that they will not endanger themselves. And God loves us that much as well. Praise the Lord. Many other ways we said creation. God's power, his wisdom, his omnipotence, his authority can be seen in creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. And um, praise God. God is not at fault in speaking. We get mad at him sometimes. Why won't you answer me? I can't hear you, God. And I've gotten mad at God so many times. Very angry at God. Not communicating clearly so I can understand it. And not speaking in English audibly in some manner. Or giving me a sign. Get angry. It's not a speaking problem. He will transmit that which we need to hear when we need to hear it. And we're not God. He's God. He'll communicate to us in the ways he knows is best for us in the long term. Rather, it's usually a hearing problem. Hey, we need hearing aids, right? What drowns out God's voice? What drowns out God's voice? There's a hearing aid. We'll get to that in a little bit. Let's go back to what drowns out God's voice. Three things I'm going to present uh, before you today. One culture does a great job of drowning out God's voice, and it just does. Entertainment options, news, media, movies, you name it. Um, there's always something very important going on that needs to be blasted over the airwaves. And, and um, uh, culture's found its way into the home. I mean, the printed press has been around a few centuries, but then TV worked its way in in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And now you're not even safe in the bathroom because now you've got your smartphone. And so culture just has found its way into every nook and cranny of our privacy and um, blasting loud uh, noise. Have you ever... Um, had a time in your life, and we just got done with Thanksgiving. Did anybody in here stuff themselves so much that they were kind of incoherent and just foggy and, and off balance? And uh, I did okay this year. There have been years, though. When we have too much intake of a media, when, we're, when we get too consumed with some news or sports or social media or something, whatever it is, we can just feel foggy in our minds. Some Sometimes there's a weekend that I've watched too much football, and then by Monday I just feel like I'm not hearing from God, I don't know who I am, my identity, it's just my perception of the world. It was just too much. It was too much. And um, culture can drown us out. It, Psalms 37, 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. This, this verse continually, this one I'm about to read, continually gets my attention. Isaiah 30.15, Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 30.15, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, 
Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. He was speaking to the nation of Israel. In quietness and confidence is your strength. In confidence, in quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it, Isaiah says to them. If we will not still ourselves, if we will not make room for God's voice, what's the next progression? Pain. And God has to use pain. He will use whatever he needs to to attempt to help us. Um, we don't need to always learn through pain, though. Do you know someone that it always takes pain in order to learn every time? I have kids that is, pain is the only thing that will work, nothing else works. I have other kids that will learn prior to the pain. They will learn um, in quietness and trust and confidence. And um, God help us do that. Uh, culture is one. Culture is one that distorts, drowns out God's voice. Two, our desires. Our own desires sometimes can drown out God's voice. Um, things we want, things we're striving for, excited about, and uh, we're just consumed with our own desires too much, and we're not surrendering our desires to God's desires or hearing his desires or his thoughts because we're so full of our own. Um, and then we compromise on things or we act like we're hearing God's voice or try to make our desires God's desires for us when they're not. Convince ourselves that our desires are God's desires. Have you done that before? Um, um, ha- 2 Timothy 4.3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We rationalize things that are outside of God's will. He's given specific instructions regarding certain things in Scripture, and we will overlook it or not see it or not hear it because of our desires. And um, so I, I had a friend that... Um, I lived with for a couple years just after college in Minneapolis, and him and his wife, they allowed me to have a room in their house. And he had struggled prior, previously, um, in his marriage with uh, sexual um, purity and um, uh, with his wife, and had gone outside the bounds of marriage. Uh, and so, but he had been doing well, and he had had some great accountability, some great encouragement, was doing very well in, in the marriage when I was moving in there. And then came the promotion. Um, that he was excited about, and their family could use more money. He was excited about more money. However, the promotion required him to travel a lot. And I knew for him, and he knew, I, I think, down deep, that that was a scary thing for him. We all have different things we deal with, but that was, that was his thing. It was just not going to be good. Um, he took the promotion. And it was a year later, his marriage dissolved, and it was over. And... Um, and just uh, God speaks to us, but sometimes our desires, we just our desires are too loud. And we just hold to our desires too strongly. Uh, Lord, help us to be humble and honest before you, teachable. We don't want to suppress your truth, Lord. We don't want to ignore it. Uh, third thing is work, responsibility, busyness. Uh, you know, things that aren't blatantly sinful, but they can have the same effect of static, tuning, tuning out the voice of God. Uh, Jesus is at his friend Lazarus' house. Lazarus' sister Martha is prepping a big meal. There's a lot of people coming. She's prepping the house, prepping the meal. 
Uh, her other sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. And Martha is, is uh, flustered. She actually comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Uh, she's doing a great thing. She's being a great hostess. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the, these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Raise your right hand if you want to. Say, I am doing a great work. I am sitting at the feet of Jesus. I was a kid, and there was a pastor that told us to do that at Open Bible Christian Center in um, Rapid City, South Dakota. He talked about, he preached a message on this. I'm doing a great work. I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. The best work is the most important work over all of our other busyness. Um, so how do we have better hearing? Oftentimes, God will give us some truth, and he'll speak to us in one of these various ways. And we'll, we'll sense something from God. And there will be something for a minute or for a glimpse that seems to be a direction or a clearness or a, a prompting. And then in the next moment, what happens? We're distracted because the news pops on or the game's starting, and it's gone. And the farmer goes out and he throws his seed out on the ground, and some of the seed that falls on the path the birds come along, and they grab it, and they take it away before the seed takes root. And God's speaking, and we have it, and then it's just gone because we don't have any boundaries. We don't have enough stillness or quietness. We don't have guardrails on our time, and we're consumed by culture, by our own desires, by busyness. And Ephesians 5, <clears throat> um, 15 through 20 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, redeeming the time. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And when that was written, that was a time of kings and walls were very important for protection for the people. Um, hey, Zig Ziglar, a motivational speaker who passed away probably five, maybe even ten years ago now, eight years. He said when he was gone on work, he was a motivational speaker, he'd get done with a busy work day. He had, he had spoken, did a lot of seminars, and he got back to the hotel at night, and the question is, how do you relax in a way that's refreshing and rewarding? I don't know about you, there's times when I have worked a big week or a long time, and I, I need some time off, obviously, to refresh, but how do I spend, how do I relax? How do you relax in a way that is actually refreshing, beneficial, and rewarding? And Zig Ziglar said, um, when I get done, I go on a long walk with my dad. I've been standing or sitting and presenting all day, so I go on a good long walk somewhere. And when I get done with my walk, I order at the hotel or a restaurant nearby, I order a great meal. I eat a really good meal. And after I eat a really good meal that night and I get up to my hotel room, then I call my wife and we just talk about the day, see how things went, how she's doing. And then I go to bed. And he has a lined out of things that are actually going to help his body and help his mind and, uh, and socially and, and physically and mentally. And then he gets enough sleep. He gets more sleep than most people get. 
And so oftentimes we think of decompression as being turning on the TV when in fact, or surfing online when it makes us more stressful or more envious or more lonely, you know? And we are checking out our brain and, and it's good to have some down, but, but things that are actually relaxing or rewarding actually refresh us. We don't even know what those things are or how to do that. And I'm learning that. That's something I struggle with. How do I relax in a way that is good? Relax in good ways. Being proactive, planning out the evenings or the weekends just to have some parameters or boundaries. And quiet time with God, of course. Um, was that God? Was that God? So God speaks. And we can all get better at hearing. We can get better at hearing. And there's some practical things we can do. Uh, we can have some time restrictions. We can, okay, I'm going to look at sports, but I'm only going to look at sports at this time of night and only for a half an hour, catch up on scores. Or the news, I want to see the news or something. Okay, I'll do the news. That's going to be at this time of day. Or I'll check it maybe at lunch. And maybe I'll check it one more time at night here, here. But not for three hours. You know, I'll check. I do a post or email some friends or whatever. But during this time and during that time, but then not all the time. Just have some windows that can really help us. And God helps us be structured and self-controlled with time management. Three, was that God? Discerning the voice of God was a study that the, a lot of the ladies went through at our church by Priscilla Shire. I heard that was a great study, and I, it's a women's study, and I need to enroll next time. Because I heard it was just a very good study. Went through my wife's book a little bit. How do we know when it's God's voice? Or when it's just us thinking? Our own minds. Or even worse, you know, evil spirit of some sort. Maybe we've had dreams that we thought were from God, but then ended up just being confused about. Or doors that I thought God opened a door, but that was disastrous. Um, we've had promptings and thought, was that God? Was that me? Thankfully, God gives us discernment skills and practices for dealing with these instances. Here we go. Number one, test the spirits. 1 John 4, 1 through 3, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and that now is already in the world. Um, you know what? It, that confessing Jesus it doesn't just mean a, um, articulating a faith in Jesus. What is honoring Christ? What is honoring Christ? What is helping people grow in their faith? That's a good filter if something's from God or not. Does this honor Jesus? Does this help people know Jesus? Does this help people grow in their faith? Does it help me grow in my faith, grow closer to Jesus or not? Um, that's a good one. Uh, I appreciated Chuck Smith. He passed away a couple years ago. He started the Calvary Chapel movement, a lot of churches. And he, uh, he speaks about their church services. And um, there was a lot of revivals going on in the 70s, 80s. And, um, and his church was booming, and there was a lot of crazy stuff happening in some churches. God was doing some cool stuff, but then also a lot of times people are just getting out of whack. And people are looking for this experience, right? And it gave Christianity a bad name for a while. Oh, it's a lot of loonies or something like that. God was doing some cool things and even some miracles. 
but then there's a lot of people seeking after the miracle or seeking after signs or, or um, uh, experiences of sort. And he said what we always did is we saw, is this helping people focus on Jesus or is it, is it distracting people from the truth of the gospel and from what God is, is uh, wanting us to know and grow in? And so they would very, uh, they would, they would weed things out like that. Their services, they would have, um, that would help their services be ordered. They'd have ordered services. And if they saw something that they thought, maybe someone thought they were really worshiping God, but it was really distracting everybody. They would take them out and say, hey, we, we know you don't want Jesus to, uh, the distra- you to be a distraction from, from Jesus, the things that are going on. And he said, we'd know really, really quickly if they were in the spirit or if they were in the flesh. If they'd take offense to it, we knew it was just, they were in the flesh the whole time. It wasn't a thing of God anyway. But um, anyway, I appreciated him and his church. Uh, here's the big one, right? Discerning, was that God or was that not God? God's word is perfect. God's word is a checkpoint and filter and compass. Listen to Psalm 19, 7 through 10. This is good. just talks about God's, God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. This is why reading Scripture is so important. The more we know of Scripture, the easier it is to discern whether it's God's voice speaking or not. When we have a good grasp on Scripture, not just a verse here or there, but we have six or seven verses to support a decision that we're about to make, we can understand with much more certainty if it's something that God's leading us toward or not. And making wise decisions. I have a friend that has the audio playing nonstop all day in his house. He works from home, and he has one room that's his office. And he says, and I'm not listening to it all day, but I'll get bits and pieces here or there. I'll go to the bathroom. I'll be getting a snack out of the kitchen. And just little things will come. It's the audio Bible playing nonstop. Come into my mind and then into my subconscious. And um, it's God's Word, meditating on God's Word and getting it in there. So, God's word can help us not even not just knowing the difference between right and wrong or sin, something that's sin or not sin, but just wisdom as far as maybe there's an opportunity before us. Well, what is a good opportunity? What's a better opportunity? What's the best opportunity that God might have? And that's just growing in wisdom. And God has wisdom for us to learn in his scripture. It's not a matter of wrong or right. It's just growing in wisdom. I remember being nervous about um, what major I was going to pick in college. And I called my dad at one point. Dad, I don't know which way is the right way. I don't know if I should go this way or that way. And I don't know what's the right thing. And I'm worried I'm going to pick the wrong one. Because, you know, it doesn't matter so much what you pick as long as God goes with you. That's what he told me. And I think what he was um, implying is that I shouldn't be paralyzed at the thought of making a wrong choice. But simply line up things with Scripture, pray about them, Make the best decision I can. Not worry about them. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things. And it's good for us to be sensitive. That's a good heart that we want to be sensitive to God's voice. But there's, Scripture is pretty clear on, um, 
um, us over-spiritualizing things as well. I remember at a point in my life, like opening the drawer to my dresser and see, we're all on different sides of extremes. I was on this side of the extreme. I'd open it, oh no, does God want me to wear a red shirt or a blue shirt today? I was taking it to the extreme. of God gives us a lot of liberty. You know, he's given us a lot of liberty and a lot of things to choose all kinds of different things. I can pick whatever shirt I want, you know. Now, in some circumstances or some, you know, if I'm going for a job interview, there might be more wiser choices than others, better choices than others. That's just wisdom. It's not a right and wrong thing. It's just wisdom. We can grow in wisdom, and God can help us with that. I appreciated, um, went to, went to um, coffee with a guy from church here. Uh, I'll say his name, Bill Snyder. And uh, he says, when I think I'm hearing God's voice, I filter it through four categories. Uh, here's the four categories. One, uh, yes, that's God speaking, something I'm sure of. So I've read in Scripture that I'm supposed to forgive people, right? I'm supposed to love people. So when I sense that or feel that, I just know, yes, that's God. That's easy. Two is something that I think is God. I'm probably so, pretty sure. There's a lot of principles for it in the Bible. There's a lot of examples of it in the Bible. So I'm pretty sure, maybe not, it might not be, but I think it is. Probably God. Third one, probably not God. I'm hearing or sensing or something, and I don't think it's, it could be, but I don't think so. An example might be, I'm going to give all my money, I should, I should give all my money to this one person. I don't think that's God. God has a lot of things in Scripture that talk about us saving money. It talks about us paying our bills, right? Not being in debt to people. And, um, and so I'm pretty sure it could be God. It might be one of those times when he's doing something, but I don't think so. And then the last one, I know that's not God's voice. When I hear the voice saying, go kill that person, I know that's not God speaking because <laughs> it says very clearly in Scripture. One in four are easy. One in four are easy. I know, yes, that's God's voice. And uh, four, no, I know that's not God's voice. These are the hard ones, right? And he says, if something's a two, if something's a one or two, I'll probably do it. Usually do it. If things are a three or four, I probably won't do it. If something's a two, I think that's probably not God. But then I find some more scriptures that seem to support that maybe it is. And I have some mature Christian believers around me that are counseling me and giving me some wisdom, and I think, oh, maybe that two becomes a three, and I do it. Or vice versa, maybe something that I thought was God, after getting some counsel or seeing some more scripture, I realize, no, that's not God. I'm, probably, I'm not going to do that. And so that's his categories for discerning God's voice and acting on it or not acting on it. And pretty, pretty practical in that sense. So um, I want to warn us to be careful about looking for signs. We're supposed to be careful about The Pharisees came to Jesus at one point and they said, do some miracles for us. We can believe, and then we'll believe that you're, the, that you're the Savior, that you're the promised Messiah. And Jesus said, only an adulterous, an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'll give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that was referring to him dying, being in the grave for three, three days and rising from the dead. Of course, he did that. Um... We have to be careful not to look for signs or rely on signs. There's a few times in the Bible where God allowed for that to happen. Gideon, I can think of, being one. Gideon, uh, God had told him to do something. He was going to do it. He was very, um, um, lacked confidence, and he was hoping that God would substantiate or help him know or have confidence to do what God had called him to do. 
and God was gracious with him and gave him, but I don't see it very often in Scripture. The other time I can think of is Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. There was a time, some of you may know the story, the sundial moved backwards, and that was a sign for him regarding his health. Um, but um, God warns us about signs. Actually, Jesus said, uh, Matthew 24, 23 through 25, he says, that if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, he's talking about the end times, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Satan has some powers of sorts of, of his own and evil spirits that will be able to accomplish certain things and can do certain things. It's not for us to look for... Can God give a sign? He sure can. He could. Um, Elijah was a prophet of God. Awesome prophet of God. So faithful, so bold uh, in his calling, the things that God had called him to. But there was a part time when Elijah was very stressed out and very tired. And, um, and he was kind of running out of fear. He thought he was going to be killed by the queen... Um, of Israel, Jezebel. They had put out threats for him and people to kill him. He runs to Mount Sinai. He ends up going to Mount Sinai. That's where God had given the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. He's at Mount Sinai. He's kind of in a cave of sorts. And while he's there, there is a windstorm. Huge. The scripture says, but God was not in the windstorm. And then there was an earthquake. And scripture says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then it says, then there was a huge fire, but God was not in the fire. And then there was a still small voice. And when Elijah heard that, he covered his face and he walked outside the cave. It was at that time that God transmitted, I don't know in what way, impressed upon Elijah's heart what he was supposed to do. Where he was supposed to go, he was supposed to anoint a couple kings and another prophet. And guys, um, for us, um, here's, this is what it's coming to. It's number four. Right now, we are in the age of faith, not consummation. We are not in heaven yet. Raise your hand if you think you're in heaven right now. This is heaven, right? We're not in heaven yet. We are, we are not in heaven. This is the age of faith. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 12. Let me encourage you with some examples. Esther, she did not, we don't see from Scripture that she heard anything audibly from God or even sensed you know, something profoundly in any way other than um, she knew Scripture, Mordecai knew Scripture, and he encouraged her to act in faith and do the good thing that was before her to do. And she did it. Ezra went back, out of captivity, went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of God. And Ezra, we know about him from chapter 7, where it says, um, the good hand of God, his God, was upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He had set his heart upon God, and he was walking by faith to accomplish that 
for which he believed God would have him do, the good things in front of him. And he acknowledged over and over again, I've underlined here about six, seven times in two chapters where he acknowledges the hand of God is upon me. The hand of God is upon me. The hand of God is upon us when we are obedient to his general will, when we are seeking him, when we are open to his Holy Spirit. And we may hear from God in different ways at different times, and there might be times or seasons or years when we just feel like we're not hearing from God, but we move forward like Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah. There was another one. Nehemiah left um, Babylon to go back to Jerusalem to build the walls of Jerusalem. And he gave a lot of his own monetary resources, and um, he restored justice. A lot of people were being oppressed. And at the end of, of Nehemiah, he says, Lord, remember me for these things that I have done. He didn't have any clear instruction, but he did what he believed God was having him do, and he was faithful. He said, Lord, remember me for these things that I have done for your name. Having faith in the Lord and doing the things that are before us. George Washington did that. He recognized that God's hand was upon him, the hand of providence. He quoted that. He prayed. He believed that God was with him. In fact, he speaks of his coat that he wore during one of the battles, having four bullet holes through his coat and two horses that were shot out from underneath him. And saying, the hand of providence, I have no doubt in my mind, God's hand of providence is upon me for this time in this place. Praise God. I believe God has his hand upon us. And when we wait upon him and quiet our hearts before him, and then we faithfully do the good things before us, he's accomplishing things through us. And we can quiet ourselves before him. Here's, a, here's an envelope. Cassie's grandfather, Doug Carble, had a... Uh, Prayer list right here. It's a copy. There's his bloodlines, or all his relatives would be praying for every day. All his grandkids, cousins. Here over here, he's praying for salvation for different people. And over here, he's praying for healing for different people in different ways. He's bringing things before the Lord. He's praying. He's living faithfully. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We depend on God's spirit. We trust in him. He fills us with power. He gives us power through Jesus Christ to do what's before us. Close with this. Scripture is good, necessary to know. Holy Spirit is not spooky, but very practical. If there is something that's crazy that God wants us to do, he'll give us the faith for it. He'll give us the faith for it. Walk by faith and fulfill the good things before us. We do it with zeal and expectancy. We're fighting the good fight. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for today. And Lord, we desire to hear your voice, but sometimes we're too busy. Lord, sometimes we think we hear, we're hearing from you, but we're not sure. Sometimes we do hear from you, but then we forget. It's gone. Lord, you know we are but dust, Lord. 
and yet you've placed great worth upon us. Hallelujah. May we trust in you, Lord, and forge ahead with the confidence you give us. Lord, you give us power for taking steps. We recognize that. You're the one that ultimately can open and close doors that need to be opened or closed. for this word today, God. And right now, we just give you a minute, Lord, to minister to us by your Holy Spirit that which you want us to keep today. <laughs>